Welcome to this week's edition of Honestly Speaking with Tara, where telling the truth in a time of universal deceit is a revolutionary act. So welcome to episode 23 and lots going on this week. You know, my episodes drop on Tuesdays. So um, sometimes if you listen to it later in the week, you're like, oh my God, this already happened. This may be one of those weeks. So we're going to talk about some things, previewing what's going on. And then you can compare it with what actually happened and see how close we were to predicting it. Um, This week, we've got, oh man, big stuff. We've got Trump in North Korea meeting with his his, uh, best buddy who he's in love with, Kim Um, Jong-un. I'm sorry, they're meeting in Hanoi, Vietnam. And you also have Michael Cohen testifying this week, finally, after it was delayed, That is going to be a popcorn eating split screen moment. Must watch TV. Oh my goodness gracious. Um, Also coming up in this episode, I have criminal defense attorney, legal analyst extraordinaire, Joey Jackson. You've probably seen him on HLN or CNN talking about all kinds of things. There's so many big, like major celebrity cases legal cases going on nationally. And I thought Joey would be a great person to have on because A, he's the nicest guy ever. And B, he's really smart and easy to listen to. He breaks down legal issues in a way that makes it easy to understand and uh, entertaining at the same time. So stay tuned for Joey Jackson joining me on this week's edition as as the guest. It's a really good conversation. And <laughs> you'll learn some things about Joey. And we have a nice... Um, conversation about our our pets and uh, our spouses. <laughs> so stay tuned for that. On top of all the other things, we'll be talking Jesse Smollett and the latest on that crazy case. I, I can't believe it's still going on. Uh, R. Kelly finally arrested in jail, that bastard sexual predator. Glad that he's finally, um, the justice system's catching up with him. So Joey's going to talk about that too. And also a little bit about Michael Cohen and his testimony and some of the legal ramifications of that. Um, but before I get to that, I'm going to talk a little bit about a couple of things. So um, the Oscars were over the weekend. Uh, I like to watch the Oscars. I mean, it's uh, some people, they boycott them and they say, oh, you know, stupid Hollywood, the award show. Same thing with the Grammys or the Golden Globes. I happen to like those things. I like music. My mom is a card carrying SAG member and has been for like 40 five years because she was um, in show business when she was younger. She was a professional dancer on Broadway and other places. So she did commercials and things. So my mom's still a SAG member. And um, so, you know, I I grew up with, with the arts and theater and music. So I enjoy award season. Plus my mom and I, we always joke. We say we're like the, the two grumpy old men that are up in the balcony in the, in the Muppets the ones that are always the, the critics in the balcony, <laughs> that's us. We're, we're really tough critics when it comes to music and talent and movies and stuff. We're, so we always joke about it. We tear things apart. We're very particular about them because, you know, we expect a certain excellence about it. And so anyway, we crack ourselves up with that. So I did watch the Oscars. Um, I was relatively pleased with some of the winners. Um, people I was rooting for won in some categories, didn't win in others. Um, I, I, I am kind of agnostic about the host, no host thing with the Oscars. It's a big controversy and I was wondering how it would go. 
And frankly, it felt a little a little disjointed because you just didn't have the the commonality of a host through the whole thing. But then there was another part of me that felt like it kind of moved along, even though it was still three plus hours. So I don't know. I think I kind of want to host back. I don't know if it's the right host with no controversy. Um, but let's see, for best actor, I was really rooting for Bradley Cooper or Viggo Mortensen because I, I saw Green Book and I also saw A Star is Born. I also saw Bohemian Rhapsody. Rami Malek did a great job as Freddie Mercury. That's true. I just thought that um, Bradley Cooper's performance in A Star is Born was just a really emotionally compelling performance. And I thought Viggo Mortensen nailed his character in Green Book. You know, I'm from Jersey. I'm used to being around, you know, Italians and just... Um, his mannerisms, his tone, the the writing, it, it was spot on. And he really nailed that role. So, and I liked Green Book. A lot of people, this, there was controversy over it because they said it was a white, whitewashed version of what happened. And there was some kind of white savior thing with it because, uh, you know, if you hadn't seen it, I suggest people see it. I thought it was a good movie. There's always going to be some historical inaccuracies, but it wasn't a documentary. It's Hollywood. So Mah- uh, Maharshala Ali, uh, played Dr. Don Shirley, who was a concert pianist, black concert pianist back in the 60s. And Viggo Mortensen played um, Tony Lip, who was a, a, an Italian tough guy, a blue collar guy that that gets hired to be his driver when he goes on tour, when Dr. Shirley goes on tour in the segregated South, Jim Crow South, kind of be his driver and bodyguard. And it's all about their relationship and what happens. And it's based on a true story. And actually, Tony Lip, um, his son, Nick uh, Villalonga, that's his real name, co-wrote the the screenplay. So what a cool tribute to his dad. And they actually won um, for that category. And um, I always get mixed up with a best screenplay, original screenplay versus adapted. So I think Spike Lee for Black Klansman won adapted because that was a true story, too. Um you know, Spike Lee was cutting up at the Oscars. <laughs> he was pissed off that the Black Klansman didn't win Best Picture. Green Book actually did. But anyway, and I was I was happy about that. Black Klansman was excellent too. So, I mean, I saw almost all the movies except for the the, the favorite. I didn't see that one. So the, the for Best Actress, I was really rooting for Lady Gaga. I think she's immensely talented, totally underrated. She has a very rags to riches story. You know, she was told early in her career that she wasn't pretty enough, she wasn't good enough, and she would never make it in the music industry. And I love to see those those overcoming the odds stories. And that's what she did. Despite the kind of wacky stuff she did early in her career to get attention, I'm glad that she's moved away from that and just let her talent speak for itself. She's unbelievable. She can sing, she can write, she can perform, she can dance, she can play instruments. She's I've seen her live. Her performance at the Super Bowl was freaking amazing. And she kicked ass in A Star is Born. I mean, she was born to play that role. And I was really upset that she didn't win. She deserved the Oscar, in my opinion. I know people wanted Glenn Close to win because she's been nominated seven times and hasn't won. And I like Glenn Close. I didn't see her performance either. But um, I was rooting for Lady Gaga. But she did win the Oscar for Shallow for Best Song. And I thought that was great because that was that's a great song, too. 
So Regina King winning for Best Supporting Actress in If If Beale Street Could Talk. Another really good movie. Good for her. She's come a long way, Regina King. I mean, she used to play Brenda on 227. People remember that show back in the 80s. She's um, been a consistent working actress. She's done dozens of movies, and I'm glad to see her finally win, win an award. So good for Regina King. Black Panther took a bunch of awards. Happy about that, of course. Wakanda Forever. Black Panther, an iconic movie, a culturally significant movie, and it will have an impact on generations to come as far as black superheroes, superheroes in general, just the idea of of Wakanda being this magical, amazing, wealthy place in Africa um, with genius, geniuses, genius scientists and things. I, I just, I, I love the whole thing behind the way they did Black, black Panther. The movie was excellent. Set design was great. So congrats to all those winners. And um, yeah, that's my little Oscars recap. I wasn't thrilled about the fashion, though, I have to say. You know, my husband is, um, besides being law, law enforcement, he's actually a really talented fashion designer, which is, I know, quite the contrast. But um, so we watch these things together and we, we critique the red carpet. And I wasn't impressed with the, pre, the, the red carpet shows and some of the fashion. But there were a couple of nice looks, but a lot of it, I don't know. I, I wasn't feeling it this year. But um, Lady Gaga had on a, what was it, a $30 million Tiffany diamond necklace. Oh, my God, it was beautiful. Anyway, so congrats to everybody on that. Um, Another quick thing. So last week, uh, my husband and I slipped away for a couple days. We went to Orlando because my family was there. My parents were there. Um, My mom said, why don't you come down? We said, all right. So we went to try out the new Jimmy Buffett Margaritaville Resort. Now, I'm not a big fan of Jimmy Buffett. But he's got this whole um, Margaritaville brand and it's there's resorts. There's a bunch of them. I guess it's a franchise now. And there's this whole new resort thing going on in Orlando. So we just opened a couple months ago or a couple weeks ago, I think. So my mom said, let's try it out. All right, fine. We've been to Disney a million times. I love Disney World. It is the happiest place on earth. I love it, except when it's super crowded or super hot. Um, but we were kind of just going to hang out by the pool it was, you know, it was snowed here in DC last week and we were able to get out of here before this, the blizzard hit too bad. I mean, we spent four hours on the tarmac, but we were still able to get out of here and it was a disaster. Oh my God. I can't even begin to tell you everything that went wrong at this resort. It's supposed to be a soft opening, but there was... It's going to be beautiful when it's done. I will admit that there's a lot of potential, but we had a lot of problems. And um, yeah, enough for me to have to pursue it further with the corporate offices of the Margaritaville uh, Resort. Yeah, I'll have to let you guys know what the results of that were. But I'm telling you from the time we checked in, they checked us into an occupied room. It took three chances to finally get, you know, the room into our room there. Most of the the resort amenities were not available. It's not advertised anywhere. So we didn't know that. We think we're going to a resort with three pools, hot tubs, all night pool, you know, restaurants, full retail. None of that was open. They have three pools. One was open. No, all kinds of bullshit explanations why the others weren't open. The hot tubs weren't available. The pool closed at six o'clock. The restaurants were closed at 830. I mean, it was a disaster. And on top of that, they had a pool, little shit pool staffer that insulted my husband um, with a snide comment 
that set off a DEFCON 1 response from the resort. They ended up upgrading us to a suite to try to make up for it. I mean, it was constant. All of this happened in like the first day and a half we were there. It was a mess. It was supposed to be relaxing for three days and it was nothing but Ajita the whole fucking time we were there. And I have a lot to tell the CEOs of Margaritaville, whoever they are, because I'm in the process of researching that because it was not right. So I suggest that if you guys are going to go down to Orlando and you see Margaritaville now, I wouldn't step foot near that resort until a good six or seven months from now when they get their shit together because they have a lot they need to get together. So anyway, so that was that. But we did get to go to Disney World. We went to Pandora. We went to Animal Kingdom and uh, checked out the Flight of Passage. And we waited online for, well, when we got there, the sign said 225 minute wait. (laughs) We were like, what? 225 minutes? Yeah, it's a long time. I put some some of it on Instagram stories. Uh, if you don't follow me on social media, you should. My Instagram page is uh, at the Tara Setmayer. And um, I don't put as many political things on there. I kind of mix it up a little bit with with personal and, and political stuff. But my Insta stories, I'm always posting things. Um, my Twitter feed is like super political all the time. Instagram's a little change of pace. But uh, it wasn't so bad, but I, it was hot. It was really hot on Thursday or Friday. What day did we go? Friday, I think. And so we were standing on that line and when we were walking to find the end of it, it just kept going. I mean, the line just kept going and going. We're like, where the hell is the end of this damn line? So we ended up um, two and a half hours. So it wasn't the full three and a half hours. It was about two and a half hours. It went by, but the line was moving. It went by pretty good. Because we decided to go last minute, we couldn't get fast pass. So anyone who goes to Disney World, you know, you can get these things called fast passes. Basically, you reserve a chunk of time where you can go and you bypass the standby line. But Disney has now digitized everything. So it's not used to go and used to press a kiosk and it would give you a time frame to come back with a little like ticket thing. Not anymore. Everything is, is digital. It's on an app. It's on your, on your, your, um, they have like these watch things now, if you have multi-day passes and it's all connected. And so because we, we decided to go last minute, all the fast pass reservations were gone. So we had to stand by like everybody else <laughs> that didn't have fast passes for two and a half hours. Um, but it was worth it. The flight of passage is really cool. It's like a total VR experience. Like if you've ever seen the movie Avatar, um, the scene when Jake Sully hops on the Banshee thing and he, and he bonds with the Banshee and he goes flying all around the Pandora moon on it to get used to it. So that's what it is. You're on these like stationary bike things and you get on it and you put on these glasses and it's like a, a totally immersive experience. You feel like you feel the rush of the, of the air when you're flying around. You feel what's like the breath of the Banshee. You smell things in the forest. You feel like when you go through waterfalls and around water, you feel the spritz of the water on you. It's like it's really, really cool. I think they call it like a 7D experience now. Um, so that was neat. Pretty neat, pretty neat. So we only went to one one park one day because we just wanted to ex- experience that since it was kind of a quick trip. But everybody loves Disney World. We saw the Lion King, Festival of the Lion King. I had my little Disney ears on, my little mini ears. <laughs> I'm like a big kid. My husband and I are like big kids when we do that stuff. So a little update on what's going on with that. And... Um, so preview, political preview for this week. Enough about what I've been doing for the last couple of days. Um, 
So what do we got going on? Well, like I said before, um, we've got big two big stories this week, Michael Cohen, North Korea. And then obviously you've got Trump still going on and on about this national emergency bullshit, which is still a fake emergency. It's not a national emergency. I will continue to repeat this. There is no national freaking emergency on the southern border. 58 former national security experts, all the way from the former Secretary of State, Madeleine Albright, to others, have signed on to a letter saying this is not a national emergency in our expert opinion. This will, I'm telling you, it's going to get litigated and the Supreme Court will be the final arbiter of this. But in the meantime, Trump is still tweeting away lies to the American people about this emergency on the southern border and that they are building the wall now. Oh, the wall is being built as we speak or it's about to be built. That is not true. The construction work that's going on along the border is part of pre-authorized, already appropriated money um, uh, rehabilitation efforts. It's not new wall that Trump has gotten. There's been zero inches of new wall under Donald Trump's administration. Everything that you see, all the construction work that they're trying to pass off as new wall is simply replacement wall or repairs. So even the, even the, uh, what's her name? The secretary of Homeland Security, Kirsten Nielsen, they have a new definition. She, she admitted it. Well, we consider it new wall. If it's old wall and we're building new wall and replacing where it was, then it's new wall. These people are just unreal. So don't be duped. Don't be duped. Here and honestly speaking, we don't dupe people. I tell you the truth. So that's what's going on here. Cut, cutting through the BS. Um, speaking of BS, Trump going to North Korea. Um, next week, I'm going to see if I can bring on a foreign policy expert to talk about what happened there and the significance of that. Uh, I think also I want to talk a little bit as well next week too, because there's all these things going on in the world that we need to kind of get a, get a handle on. A lot of it gets lost in the day-to-day chaos chronicles of the White House. So, um, but you know, North Korea, this whole weirdo love affair that Donald Trump has with Kim Jong-un, who is a psychopath, lunatic, dictator, whose people are starving to death in one of the most closed off regimes in the world. Yet Trump still continues now to flatter him. It was little rocket man and all the insults before. And now all of a sudden they're best buddies, love affairs and all this craziness. This is serious shit. Okay. (laughs) This is nothing to joke about. Donald Trump is so flippant about these things. We're talking about a very significant geopolitical problem with North Korea having nuclear weapons. Our country and other countries in the world have tried to get these wackadoodles over there to denuclearize for 25 years, and it's been unsuccessful. Singapore, when they met last time, really nothing came out of it. Donald Trump doesn't really give a shit whether North Korea denuclearizes. And there's dispute over how you define that. What does denuclearization mean? What does it mean? Well, it means something different to us than it does to them. North Korea wants our 28,000 troops that are on the Southern Peninsula for South Korea. They want our troops out of there because they feel like it's a a provocative act to keep our troops there. 
They think they're going to, we're going to invade North Korea. That's part of their paranoia. Well, our presence is there as a deterrent so that they don't use nuclear weapons or try to invade South Korea, which is a thriving democracy and an ally in the region. We're not doing that. I mean, that would be a disaster if we were, if we were to capitulate to North Korea's demands there. They also want a, um, the, North, the, the, the Korean War officially ended. Right now, it's all, since the 50s, it's only an armistice, only a treaty. The war hasn't been officially declared over. If that happens and we can't verify that North Korea has actually dismantled and completely disarmed their nuclear program, it's, it becomes harder to justify our troop presence there, right? Because we can still say it's like an active war area. There's no, if the war hasn't been declared over with. It seems like a technicality, but it matters in these negotiations. So that's not something we're willing to give up. But a lot of foreign policy expert, ex- experts are like, we don't know what the hell Donald Trump is going to agree to with this guy. Who knows? We don't know. Nobody knows until he, and you don't really even hardly know until he comes out of the meeting. And even then, it's only if there's a third party in there that can verify. Nobody knows. All Donald Trump cares about is appearances. And if you notice, he keeps f- focusing on the fact that there haven't been any more nuclear tests or missile tests from coming out of North Korea. That's true. But that doesn't mean that their nuclear program is over. It doesn't mean that they no longer pose a threat. Even Pompeo, the Secretary of State, acknowledged they still represent a threat. Anybody who knows anything about that region knows they still pose a threat as long as they are in possession of nuclear weapons. Whether they have the rocket cut capability to transport them and hit the U.S. yet or not, we still don't know. But it doesn't matter. Just because they're not testing that we can see doesn't mean that their program is over. And that's the issue. They're, they're masters at deception. And they've made promises in the past multiple times when we've had six-party talks and we've tried this before. And it's come out with nothing. They just delay, delay, delay. They try to get some sanction relief and they, they agree and then they go back to doing the same thing. They're bad actors. So this week, we'll see what comes out of this summit, but most people aren't expecting anything. They're expecting... Um, you know, maybe baby steps in some language, but it has to be verifiable and there has to be inspections. Anything short of that is just lip service, but Trump doesn't give a shit. He just wants to be able to say they're not testing anymore because he knows most people that's that it's, it's a simplistic thing. You don't know what North Korea is doing behind closed doors if you don't see it. But if you hear about all, they've tested a nuclear weapon, all they tested a, a ballistic missile, then it's in people's minds. So that's no way to conduct foreign policy. I've got news for you. So we'll see what kind of shit show this is in in Vietnam this time around. (sighs) What kind of craziness he says this time, but it's, um, it matters. It really, it does. It doesn't mean not seem, I mean, North Korea is not going to launch a bomb over and hit the United States tomorrow, but it matters for the security of the reason region matters what goes on with China, their role, even Russia has got some stuff, you know, going on behind closed doors there with North Korea. They're propping them up. So is Iran. So we'll keep an eye on that. Who who knows? But next week, we'll talk a little bit more after we know what happened at the at the uh, Hanoi summit. And um, I'll see if I can I can get a foreign policy expert to come talk to me about it. 
uh, let's see what, oh, Michael Cohen. So a little bit about Michael Cohen before I get into my interview with with, uh, Joey Jackson, which is a lot of fun. Um, It's a great interview. I I know you guys will, will enjoy it. Uh, so Michael Cohen is testifying finally in front of the house. There's going to be, he's going to testify three times, I believe, but only one in open session, only one in public. The other two are behind closed doors, I guess, because of the nature of the stuff they're going to talk about. But Michael Cohen, you know, he's already pled guilty to a bunch of counts of campaign finance fraud and tax evasion, lying and things like that. Nothing directly related to Russian collusion, just to be clear. And he's being prosecuted by the Southern District of New York, not Robert Mueller directly, not the special special counsel's office. The special counsel's office passed on Michael Cohen's case to the Southern District of New York, which is one of the most active and powerful um, U.S. attorney's offices in the country. Rudy Giuliani, back in the day, was the head of that. He was the U.S. attorney for the Southern District before he became mayor of New York. Um, It's usually a launching pad for higher things, higher office. Um, you ever watch the show Billions? I I kind of always think about that. If you watch Billions, Paul Giamatti plays the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, and he goes after this hedge fund guy, big-time billionaire, um, played by, um, oh, what's his name? I forget his name in real life, but he, he used to be at Homeland, and he plays uh, Axelrod. Bobby Axelrod is his character on Billions. It's oh, such a great show. I cannot wait for it to come back, by the way on Showtime. Anyway, that's an aside. Um, But the Southern District of New York is very powerful and they don't play around. They um, are, are, they are now looking into Donald Trump and his, the inaugural, the Trump inauguration. They're looking into Trump, the charity, Trump's foundation, it ended up getting shut down because of some of the stuff they, they were discovering. Michael Cohen is, is singing like a canary, even though he's already been sentenced to three plus years. He doesn't go to jail until May. He was originally supposed to go to jail in March, but then he, his lawyer asked for a delay because he had shoulder surgery and he was recovering. And also he was supposed to testify in front of Congress a couple weeks ago, but Donald Trump was tweeting out these like threatening tweets talking about, you know, look into Michael Cohen's father-in-law and what a liar he is and all this. So Michael Cohen felt unsafe for himself and his family. So they postponed it. Well, it just so happens they were able to reschedule it while Trump is in Hanoi in Vietnam meeting with Kim Jong-un. Whether that was on purpose or not, I don't know, probably. So that Trump is, there's a huge time difference. He should be focused fully on North Korea. But we all know that Donald Trump can't help himself. And he is going to be freaking out over over Michael Cohen's testimony because Cohen knows a lot. He knows, not only does he know where the bodies are buried, he has helped bury them. Michael Cohen is the worst kind of person to turn into your enemy. They're going to try and, and, and Joey and I talk about this coming up, but of course they're going to try to discredit him. You know, he's a liar and he's a snake and he's dishonest and he's going to jail for these things. That's true. But he also has a lot of receipts and there's tapes, there's files, there's things that he has besides just his word to back up what he's claiming. So if he's looking for a reduction in his sentence, I mean, he's not going to offer information that can't be corroborated. And Joey Jackson will explain that. So the New York Times has came out with a story over the weekend 
actually there were two stories over the weekend concerning Michael Cohen to pay attention to. Um, what he says during his testimony about the Trump businesses, Trump organization, insurance claims that they've submitted and other shady business practices, surprise, surprise, that I guess he's going to talk about. I'm hoping there's some new information here. Um, and also, you guys may remember about eight months ago when Michael Cohen's offices were raided by the FBI and he first got arrested and all of that. Michael Avenatti, remember him? Stormy Daniels' uh, lawyer. He was running around doing cable news left and right, talking all kinds of shit about Michael Cohen and basically daring him to come for them. And, you know, however you feel about Avenatti now, uh, they were successful in, in their efforts between the national, taking down the National Enquirer on this, um, with the Karen McDougal stuff and Stormy Daniels, they, they were proven correct. So a lot of what Michael Avenatti predicted and claimed about Michael Cohen and that whole situation and Trump lying about, he was right. Now I think, of course, Avenatti, who I was a big fan of, I liked him in the beginning. He kind of, I think, took it too far in some things, but, you know, people love the attention, so whatever. But um, he also had big news because he was able to obtain financial records from the Fed somehow that showed Michael Cohen took $500,000 from this Russian oligarch guy, um, a subsidiary of Victor Vexelberg's company here in the U.S. And everyone wondered, how the hell did he get a copy of this? Well, it was clearly leaked. There's only but so many people in the Treasury Department that have access to these things. They're called special, uh, no, I'm sorry, they're called suspicious activity reports. I was thinking of SAMs, which are special administrative measures. <laughs> when I used to do work on Capitol Hill and dealing with this border agent case, I dealt a lot with the Federal Bureau of Investigations and being in solitary confinement is actually called special administrative measures. So anyway, that's where I was thinking as my brain was. But no, a SARS, a suspicious activity report. It's something that's generated when there's suspicious banking activity that goes to various law enforcement agencies inside the Treasury Department, including the IRS. Well, come to find out, it was in fact an IRS employee who leaked that, leaked that information to Michael Avenatti and he got caught. And so he's in trouble. He's in trouble. But I don't know, I guess he took one for the team. If you're going to do that, you know, make sure you cover your ass <laughs> or become a whistleblower. You, you know what? Let me not condone doing things that are going to get you in trouble. But if you become a whistleblower, you're protected under the Whistleblower Act. There's a law in place that protects people that see wrongdoing, that work for the federal government, and they can, they are protected if they become whistleblowers. So that's my suggestion. Become a whistleblower. Then you don't have to worry about going to jail. So without further ado, um, I want to bring in my, my good friend, Joey Jackson, and um, we're going to have a nice little chat. So welcome, Joey Jackson. All right. So there is a lot of legal news going on in, in the news today. Usually I, I focus on politics, but I think there's kind of been a, a cross section of politics and, and legal news and major cases. And I couldn't think of anybody better to have on than criminal defense attorney extraordinaire, HLN, CNN legal analyst, Joey Jackson. 
who I'm proud to welcome for the first time on Honestly Speaking with Tara. Joey, thank you so much for taking time out of your really busy schedule to join me. Tara, listen, whenever Tara calls, let all business be laid aside. (laughs) Everything's dropped and everyone has to respond. Uh, Let me just say this. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of all you're doing, your commentary, your podcast. And, uh, you know, just you being you. So it's, I'm happy to be here. Oh, thank you. You're, you're too kind. And, and for those of you who don't know Joey Jackson, he is one of the nicest guys ever. And if you're ever in trouble, he's smart as a whip. And that's who you call to be a criminal defense attorney for you in New York. <laughs> you're sweet. Thank you, Sarah. No, thank thanks. you. No, I appreciate it. That's so kind of you. And uh, something else, when I was first developing the podcast and I was trying to come up with a name, I was stuck for uh, weeks and weeks and weeks to come up with a name. And I reached out to Joey to ask him what he thought. (laughs) So he was part of the focus group effort to come up with the name for the for the podcast. Uh, So Joey's been there from the beginning. Remember that day coming through names? No, that's no good. That's good. Oh, that might be good. No, that's not. That's not going to work. That was really funny. But you got it down pat. and Here we are. Thank you. I think honestly speaking, I think is is appropriate so um particularly let's... nowadays where yeah. it's alternative facts the facts is not a fact the lie is not a lie right it's insane it so, is i mean if you could define it as honestly speaking thank goodness because <laughs> we're not getting a lot of honesty nowadays right it's crazy amen to goodness. that amen to that you know you're a new yorker i'm a jersey girl and something that we don't play around with in in where we grew up is bullshit and we recognize it and cut right through it um right. and we might that's be right. good at throwing it back at you but you can't bullshit a bullshitter and i think that's part of <laughs> but that's part of uh, of of uh, what makes us who we are and, and what makes being from the, the tri-state DNA. area great that's right yep so speaking of bullshit that's a good transition into uh this jesse smollett story which just won't wow. seem to go away um it's it's a sad commentary on where we are i think in this society where people feel as though they have to make things up to get attention and to use something as painful as a racial hoax or hate crime as a hoax to get to, to, for whatever purposes, you know? Um, And here we are. Uh, This story has had, it's, it's been a very strange twist and turny story from the beginning. And I, where we are now is Jesse Smollett has gone from the potential victim to now a suspect in faking his own crime here. Where, what exactly was he charged with, Joey? And if you were his defense attorney, what would be your suggestion? How are you defending against this? So, listen, great questions. Now, here's the deal. He's not a suspect. He's an actual defendant in a crime. That's and right. They charged him. Let me him. just say a couple of things. Yep, they charged him. So let, let's talk about a couple of things. Now, obviously, everyone's presumed innocent or proven guilty without question. He has a right to go to court. He has a right to go to trial. He has a right to fend and fight for his interest. I get that. But there are two things that are very important from a criminal defense perspective about how this is handled. There's two paths. The one way is to do a mea culpa. By all indications, he's a great human being. He's done wonderful things. People love him. Terrence Howard just came out and said, hey, you know, he's my son uh, in a matter of speaking. And as a result, I couldn't imagine him doing anything this heinous and ugly. And he has his defenders. I'm concerned about that, though, because that then would dig in the defense team. And herein lies the problem. The one strategy as a defense attorney is to pull a mea culpa, right? Everyone makes mistakes. This was something that in the event he's guilty, right? And, right. and you may have heard the Good Morning America with the superintendent of the I Chicago did. police who was pissed as ever. Yeah. And he's like, listen, I let uh, we're giving information to the public as to his guilt. OK, 
And in terms of the check that he wrote, apparently, in terms of the two people who were play acting this with him, who set this whole thing up and the information they're providing to him in terms of everything that doesn't make sense and the phone records of him calling them an hour before it happened, a half an hour after that. There's so much evidence that we know. And according to the police chief, there's so much evidence we don't, which he needs to be more compelling. I say that to say this. On the one hand, the strength of defense strategy could just be pulling a mea culpa and saying, look, you know, it was a weak moment. There's many things that are going on in my life. Certainly society didn't need this. The discourse is really toxic. You know, I was feeling a certain kind of way. I made this whole thing up and I'm really sorry. I'm sorry to my supporters. I'm sorry to my family. I'm sorry to my TV family. I'm sorry to those who love me and supported me. I'm sorry to America. Now, the reason that gets you mileage, if he's guilty, right. I'm su- suggesting right. from, from one defense strategy perspective, the reason that that gets you mileage is that the defense, the system, the judicial system likes contrition. It likes people who own up and accept responsibility. It likes and values remorse. And the, all of those go to the issue of what his ultimate punishment, if he's guilty, would be. Now, the other side of it, which is what appears the defense team is heading, and he has smart, wonderful lawyers, and no defense lawyer has a monopoly on wisdom, and certainly I don't, and I don't want to suggest I do. But what I'm saying to you is if he goes down the blaze it path of the Chicago PD is racist, and they set him up, and the fact is is that they have this Department of Justice who engaged in a pattern and practice evaluation against their system and found them to be no good and corrupt and you know, and shameful in how they treat the community. That's a path he could go, a la OJ, right? LAPD, no good, yeah. racist, blah, blah, blah. Well, but it worked for OJ. If you go down that path, yeah, it worked for him, absolutely. But if you go down that path and it doesn't work because the evidence is compelling mm-hmm. and the evidence establishes that you did it right now, what happens is when it comes time, should you be convicted? And he has a right to follow whatever path that he deems to be appropriate and his lawyers deem to be appropriate. But if he goes down that path and he's convicted to your question of what he's charged with and then the next question of what he's facing, he's charged with filing a false report, which is a class for felony, which means in English, you can do one to three years in jail. Mm-hmm. So if, if a judge listens to this whole charade after an elongated trial and you've wasted all these judicial resources and the evidence is damning, and he takes the stand, for example, who knows whether he would testify or wouldn't testify, he has a right not to say anything. But in the event that the, the judge peeps out that this is all nonsense and he can get hammered. And so be careful what you ask for. You have everyone has a right to trial. Everyone's entitled to the presumption of innocence. No one should be condemned and damned before all the evidence is shown. But what I always do, Tara, is I have a come to Jesus moment with every client. And mm-hmm. the fact is, is that as defense attorneys, it's tough because you have to also be the agent of reality. Right. I got to be the guy that says to my client, yo, listen, they got all of this evidence. And I know you want to fight. And I know that's what you hired me for. And I know you value my judgment. And I'm telling you that not every time, right, this is my client, fictitious client, not every time an actual client, which I've gone through this chapter and verse, not every time when you're looking to move forward do you have a winnable case. Sometimes the facts are ugly. And again, we don't know everything in this case, but from what we know, the facts are ugly. And if you go down that path, People think the defense attorney's job is to get your client off every time. No, your, your job is to mitigate the pain, to lessen the damage, and if they want my client's head, I'll give them a finger. 
right. if they want my client's arm, I'll give them, you know, a, a, a fingernail. So your job oftentimes is to protect your client to the best of your ability. And if he takes the wrong path and he, and he is not found innocent, well, they don't find you innocent. They find you not guilty. Right. I'm afraid that he's going to really get hammered by the system because there needs to be a message sent that this is not the appropriate type of conduct. And so that's up to defense attorneys. They can go down one of those two paths. But I'm going to tell you this, Tara. From my evaluation of it, and again, I only see what everybody else sees, and it's looking not so good for him, a mea culpa and just saying, look, let me own up to it, may be the best thing to do in terms of his public persona and rehabilitating that and in terms of what he's facing in the judicial system and his liability criminally. And so that's how I would handle it. Well, I'm glad that you brought that up because I think a lot of people who aren't lawyers, who aren't familiar with the criminal justice system in the real world, base a lot of their opinions on what they see on television, which is oftentimes nowhere close to accurate <laughs> the way things go. You know, right. not, not everything is a time to kill moment in the courtroom where the, you know, the defense attorney goes in there and gives this rousing speech to the jury and then turns everybody's hearts around and you have a miraculous uh, verdict of not guilty. You know, I mean, that people, right. I think, are, right. are caught up in the Hollywood version of how these things go. But this it, it, there is a Hollywood aspect, but not the criminal justice part of this. And I think what he's doing, what he's done so far, has not been what you suggest, Joey. He's doubled and tripled down on this. And, yes, it, and it looks to me like he's going the other way, which I think is a huge mistake. I agree with you that he, if he, there's any chance of him salvaging his career, his, his life moving forward, um, mitigating his punishment, it is the mea culpa part of this because he's dragging so many people into it. You know, the cast of Empire, um, you know, the, the national debate about, uh, you know, Trump supporters and hate crimes. And I mean, there's a lot involved. And frankly, and I want to ask your opinion about this. Frankly, the the fact that the Chicago Police Department is so pissed at him for for wasting police resources on this and that the, the black superintendent, Eddie Johnson, went out mm-hmm. there and gave this impassioned press conference uh, last week outlining the charges and the, some of the evidence that they had just shows you that Chicago, they're not playing around they're, They They want the book thrown at him. And they, the last thing they want right. to hear is any kind of lecturing about their flaws from Jesse Smollett. Smollett. They don't want to hear it. Now he went on good morning America. Eddie Johnson did the Chicago superintendent. He went on good morning America and I have mixed feelings about this. Um, I just don't feel like the the police department should be going on entertainment news programs litigating this case in a public court of opinion. I just don't feel that that was appropriate. Uh, what, did you, what did you think about that? I think, personally, I think he's taking it a bit far, but don't you think that that compromises their case a little bit? If you're a defense attorney, you're looking at this and saying, how are we going to have a fair trial? They're, they're, they're judge, jury, and executioner already here uh, um, passing judgment in public on entertainment news shows. That is one side of it, and I think it's a very valuable side that you mentioned. It's a very valid argument, and I think many people would agree with you that it was not appropriate, that perhaps it crosses the line for the police chief to be waxing poetic mm-hmm. about what he felt about Jesse Smollett, the case, etc. The other side of it is that this is a case of extreme public interest. This is a case where, in fact, Jesse Smollett brought this to the fore. And he, in fact, imposed this into the national discourse or the national dialogue by coming out and making this up. 
And remember what the Chicago PD did. They devoted 12 detectives. They devoted 1,000 man hours to this case. And when you have detectives and man hours going, you know, it always represents a danger when the detectives are out there doing their work. And so I think they're dug in as well. And they want to correct the narrative as it relates to their police department, as it relates to Chicago as a community and what people there are capable and not capable of. And so and in an era of transparency and in an era of where there's so much and you mentioned it earlier on that is out there that may not be true, then why not have your police superintendent or chief come out and correct the record at the end of the day? They don't prosecute cases. They investigate cases. The, pro- the prosecutor of the case will be the Chicago, uh, you know, the Cooks County District Attorney, uh, Miss Fox. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there are there, there I think there's, there's a real split in public opinion in terms of whether your view is the one that, hey, just stay home and let the facts come out in a courtroom sit down, have a Coke and a smile. And the other view (laughs) where people want to know, like people want to know what the heck is going on. And I think him going out could do Jesse Smollett a service, not a disservice, a service. And here's why, because what he's saying is homeboy, we got, (laughs) we got the goods. Don't even think, don't even think about taking this to trial. And maybe that's sort of a warning shot to be like, look, everyone's got a right. I respect your right. I'm not going to tell all of you what the evidence is. I'm just going to say, Robin, as I look at you here and I'm sitting at Good Morning America, I'm telling you that we got some stuff. Right. And maybe his attorneys will take that and they'll do the mea culpa thing and they will spare him a lot of harm at the end of the day so he doesn't get spanked if he goes forward. So yeah, like that, that's, that's the a, other view. This is a case of like they literally have receipts. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, they are literally right. coming with receipts on this. And and I think that that's a good um, a flip side to that, to the argument that I made about, about the, the appropriateness of the superintendent going out on his own, because yeah, that, that could be the like, bro, we're trying to save you a whole lot of time, money that's and right. heartache because you ain't going to win. You stop know what I mean? It. Like, stop this. <laughs> don't, don't, don't come yeah. over here with that. And I, and, and I, I think that you're, you're right. There probably is an element of that too. I just don't want it to be I just don't like like for example I think of uh Sheriff Israel down there in Fort Lauderdale who was uh, overseeing the Parkland shooting uh uh, tragedy last year and how inappropriately he behaved and he kind of let the attention I think go to his head and he was so arrogant out there and and self-righteous and come to find out his police department really screwed up in a lot of areas and he he knew that before that cnn town hall and uh it was it was right and it was i just thought a terrible display and and you know i come from a law enforcement family so of course i always want the police to to look good and and do the right thing and be honorable so i i kind of worry i'm like i don't want this to cross over when it becomes too personal because it was clearly very personal for eddie johnson he's a lifelong chicago native he's black you know he talked about how the noose aspect of the jesse smollett story really bothered him because of the symbolism of that growing up in the at the tail end of the civil rights era you know and i'm just like is he too close to it maybe somebody else who isn't so directly emotionally invested might be a better spokesperson moving forward i just don't want it to take away from their case you know what i mean that that's my concern about that so but um well moving on talking about chicago and their state attorney, man, they're busy in Chicago. We can't get out of Chicago. I'm telling we you. We can't get out of Chicago. I'm telling okay. you, man. Um, R. Kelly. Could I, he, just, could I just say one yeah. second, Tara, sure. as an aside? Yeah. I, believe yeah. it or not, I have to 
tell you, the first time ever, ever, and this is embarrassing, that I was in Chicago in my life was last year. First time in my life. You're kidding. And I love that city. It's a great city. People are like, people are like, what? You never been here? So I had to, I have to admit, but I loved it. I was like, wow, if ever I would go back and visit a place and enjoy a place and everything else, their little subway system over there they got, the whole downtown. Yeah, Lakeshore Drive and all that. image I see on TV. Right. That's right. I yeah. admit I've only been so, to Chicago <laughs> once. I've been to Chicago once because I had a very good friend who was from Chicago originally. And I spent, um, uh, wait, oh, maybe I was there twice. I can't remember now. So it's been a long time. But I was definitely there over 4th of July. And, um, oh, maybe I was there twice. I think I did 4th of July one year and New Year's one year in Chicago. So I experienced mm-hmm. warm and cold. And um, they had like a big 4th of July <laughs> celebration down by the by Lakeshore Drive. Um and, and right. they have like this like corn, some kind of corn thing that you get, you know, like you go to like the Wisconsin State Fair and it's like cheese curds there. They have this like <laughs> corn thing. But yeah, no, Chicago, because I always say that, of course, I'm biased. I think New York City is the greatest city in the world. And um, but Chica- of course, and Chicago is has its own swag. You know what I mean? They have a certain swag yeah. there. It's they have nice. a certain attitude. And even though our pizza is better, um, Chicago <laughs> deep dish pizza ain't too bad either. So shout out to Chicago. It, it's not. I, was, I was impressed. <laughs> So, yeah, I didn't mean to halt that R. Kelly discussion. <laughs> no, but no, I that's all right. with Chicago. I'm going back. Yeah, you know? we can it, give a little Chicago love. It was my love. first time and will not be my last time back there. So let me say that Yeah, we're talking about Chicago. There so, you go. There, there you we go. go. So um, back to R. Kelly, speaking of Chicago, um, he is <laughs> – you know, we all grew up listening to R. Kelly, and I talked about this at great length when the Surviving R. Kelly documentary came out, and just how um, a lot of us didn't want to believe that he was this this sexual predator monster, and then it just became overwhelming that this guy's clearly got a problem, and he got away yeah. with it back, you know, 15 years ago when this first came out. Well, now... It looks like as a result of that documentary, bringing attention back on this issue, R. Kelly's now been charged with 10 counts of aggregated criminal abuse. They have a videotape. They have some DNA evidence, apparently, from victims. And he's currently sitting in jail with because he can't make a million dollars bail, which means he only needs one hundred thousand dollars and he ain't got it, which is hard to believe for a lot of folks thinking, oh, this big superstar, R. Kelly. I'm not surprised because a lot of times these guys blow their money and they they, you know, they end up broke because they have these entourages and they spend money on all kinds of crap. But um, anyway, he's sitting in he's sitting in jail and. You looking at this case, what's different this time? He got off last time. There was a videotape last time. There were plenty of witnesses yeah. last time. But something feels different about, about it this time around. What do you think? It does, Tara. And let me just tell you, just for, let me clarify the first case, and then we could bounce to the second case. Yeah. I think there's a lot different. The first time you did have the videotape, but apparently the quality of the videotape left a lot to be desired. The defense argued that it wasn't him on the videotape. The jury bought that. In addition to which, you had a victim in the videotape who didn't testify. Now, people who knew her testified, but it wasn't enough for the jury. And when they were asked, hey, why'd you acquit this guy of 14 counts of you know, possession of this uh, child pornography? The answer was, we didn't hear from her. There was reasonable doubt as to whether it was her, even though other people said it is her. And they were saying there's reasonable doubt as to whether that was R. Kelly. So and she was, was 14. And she was 14 at the yes. time of, yes. of that yes. incident. Yes. Yeah. Yes. A very important thing to, to note, Tara. She was 14, and the fact is is that he was found not guilty of that. He walked free, 
and uh, life went on for him. Now, this time around, the case, that was in 2002 that he was charged, and then, of course, the case went to trial in 2008. This time around is a lot different, and let me tell you from a defense attorney what the concerns that I have. The first concern I have is the climate we're in. We are in a Me Too, Time's Up environment. And in that Me Too, Time's Up environment, people are mad as heck and they're not going to take it anymore. Mm -hmm. The fact is, is that we've seen so many celebrities be held accountable for conduct and misconduct that they engaged in years ago. And so I think the first thing that's different is people have come to the recognition that men have behaved badly and it's time that they be held accountable. So in, so litigating a case in that environment without even getting into the facts, what I'll get into now, I'm concerned. The second thing I'm concerned about is that this time around, of course, you have four separate victims. And, you know, we could talk about the whole surviving R. Kelly and the documentary. And no matter what you think about it or whether you think R. Kelly is, you know, good, bad or indifferent, the women who spoke in that documentary who may be, in fact, testifying at trial were very compelling. Yeah. And it's hard not to have a reaction when you see people who are very upset and who seem to be very authentic and sincere. Look, you know, none of us would air who knows what the heck happened. The jury's going to evaluate their credibility based upon what they say, whether it makes sense. But the fact that you're going to have four separate women in an indictment come forward and say, he did this to me, that's going to weigh on a jury. Is and that kind of like similar, attorney, just really quick, is that similar to mm-hmm. the, like what with Bill Cosby? I see a little bit of similarity in that where there were just so many victims yes. with similar stories that it became yes. hard to deny it anymore. Yes. And that bounces off to the second thing, because remember what, what, the second or the third thing that concerns me, we talked about the climate, we talked about the multiple letters, four victims in the indictment. And to your point, Tara, relating to Bill Cosby, the difference is Cosby, they were going after with Andrea Constant, who was a single victim, but they brought in other people who Cosby allegedly behaved badly with. And we lawyers call that prior bad act evidence. If the judge allows prior bad act evidence in this case, meaning uh, instances where R. Kelly had potentially behaved in a way he shouldn't have with other little girls at the time who are now women, and the judge allows them to come and testify, and you can. Under the law, they call it uh, prior bad act evidence, and it goes to your motive. It goes to your uh, who you are. It goes to your motive operem- excuse me, modus operandi. So it's allowed to come in to establish that, listen, this is who you are. This is what you do. Right. If the judge allows that evidence in, in addition to the four women who are testifying, it's it's a done deal. You have that. And then the other thing, you Wait, know, really quick, is, I have that, a quick question about that, because mm-hmm, I know some, sometimes um, it would seem like, why would a judge not allow that? You know, like it, it so, like where what are the cases where a judge would say, no, that's not relevant? So what happens, Tara, is a judge has a right to a judge has an obligation, excuse me, to make sure that a defendant has a fair trial. Right. And so in the event that a judge allows in all types of other prior bad act evidence, the case doesn't become about what the accused is accused of now. It becomes about who the accused is, what they do. And so they're not so much convicted on the strength of the evidence they're facing currently as much as they're convicted upon being a bad person generally. Got it. And so judges are very, you know, weary of saying, hey, you know what, I can't, you know, it's you've got to make sure jurors focus on the prize. And so oftentimes judges split the baby in the middle, so to speak. And you might have 10 prior people saying, oh, Kelly did this. 
I'll tell you that. I don't. Just like in the Cosby case, there were so many other women who the judge could have allowed in, but the judge said no. Uh, but that's a whole other animal. But yeah. if that's allowed in in this particular case, boy, oh boy, I, I, you know, I just think that there's drama. And so if you think about the collective weight of all of those things, right, and you think about the prior bad act evidence, you think about the four victims, you think about the other thing we didn't even get into was his lawyer, that is R. Kelly's lawyer, Stephen Greenberg, calling them liars. Yes. You know, you can't re-victimize the victims. You right. have to walk a fine line between being respectful to their concerns in terms of what they felt happened to them and also pointing out whatever inconsistencies to the jury to establish that, hey, maybe it wasn't so. So to come out swinging like that is problematic because people feel a certain way when you call people who seem to have been victimized liars. It's just not the way, you know, and again, we all do things differently and no one has a monopoly on wisdom in terms of what's the best defense strategy. But I think ripping, you know, victims apart like that, potential alleged victims at the outset may not be the, the way to go. So you got to walk that really tight, like the circus, the balancing act where you're kind of the tree, you know, you're walking on that fine line and one foot over the other. And it's, I think it's going to be a very difficult case in that regard. In you, terms of the DNA evidence, just very briefly, yeah. the DNA evidence I'm not so much concerned about as a defense attorney. And before your jaw drops, the reason I'm saying that is because the DNA evidence they have apparently relates to a woman who was of age. Oh. And so I think the defense in that issue is going to be it was consensual. Like, right. yeah, you have my DNA, but it was consensual. Whereas if there were DNA evidence relating to an underage victim, well, how the heck did she get it? Exactly. remember, you cannot consent if you're underage. And underage, the, the, you know, the clarity of, the, of your audience it's under 17, right? So if you're under 17, you do not have the capacity to, to engage in intercourse. You just don't. Is that, so, does that vary by state? Goes. That varies by state though, doesn't yes. it? Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. In Illinois, it happens to be 17. There are some states where it's 16. Right. Uh, so it depends, you know, where you are across the country. But as, as it relates to Illinois and Chicago, you have to be at least 17 to make your own decision in terms of, you know, who you're going to have intercourse. And three of the four victims, I think this time around are uh, underage and I'm hearing, and I'm not sure if this is accurate or not, but their reports are that um, one of the victims is, is in this still stems back. I'm assuming there's a, a statute of limitations though on, on some of this, isn't there? Yeah. So just to be clear about that, and this is a very important point. The law at the time uh, that these alleged offenses occurred was 20 years from your 18th birthday. So if you're a minor victim, you're 14, when you turn 18, you have 20 years to make a complaint. When you, if you're 15, when you turn, from when you turn 18. So the, the rule of thumb was it was when you're 38 years old, you would have had to have gone to the police. They have since eliminated that, this particular jurisdiction, joining 37 other uh, states across the country and the federal government in terms of not having a statute of limitations anymore. But that is not what applies now. What applies is the rules that were existing at the time you engaged in the offense, oh. not the rules that were created after the offense. Oh, that, I'm so glad that I'm glad. That's that. great because I know for a lot of people, including myself, um, you, you wonder about, well, how are they still able to go back and now prosecute him for things he allegedly did 20 years ago or 15 years ago? Because um, we often hear about, you know, statute of limitations. And in a lot of states, yeah. um, there's no statute. I don't think anywhere there's a statute of limitations on murder. 
um, but certain other things, right. you know, rape, sexual right. abuse, things like that. It's been a, an issue discussion. And I'm glad to hear that there have been more states that have eliminated the statute of limitations on this. And I think that may have been a, a result of a lot of the um, priest sexual abuse cases in the church and things. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, sure. there should be some kind of legal repercussions for these people, even though, it, you know, it may not have come out until 30 or 40 years later. So I, I'm, I wonder if there is a correlation between right. that. I, there probably is. But so for R. Kelly, just to kind of button this up a little bit with him, um, mm-hmm. you know, because of the do, A, do you think this is going to trial? And B, do you think that uh, like what do you think are some of the biggest challenges when you have such a high profile criminal case like this? Um, you know, I, I'm sure it, it presents its own challenges with even the representation, because this guy that this sure. Greenberg guy looks to me like sometimes you run into the attorneys that like the spotlight also, like Michael Avenatti, who I used to like, who's yeah. gotten a little too far for me on this. And Avenatti is actually right. involved in this um, with the I think he obtained one of the old videos that's involved. I guess he's representing one of the old clients. So Avenatti's hands are all over this. And I hope that that doesn't doesn't taint the process either. But I, I see the potential for this to become a circus if it goes to trial. Um, but so what are some do you think it's going to go to trial? And like, what are some of the biggest challenges from a defense attorney's perspective when you have such a high profile case like this? Yeah, it really is. I think the biggest challenge power is really, you know, the guy is people have been wanting his head on a platter for a long time. And I think that we're in a sort of, you know, a society right now where the tone set is that they may very well get it. Now, I think the defense certainly is going to have to really parse through all the evidence and challenge. The reason we have a statute of limitations is because memories fade, witnesses disappear, documents and other types of evidence become stale and no good. And so that's the basis for having a statute of limitations to begin with. But I think the defense has many challenges in representing him successfully. And I think that there may be some exposure in terms of whether there will be a trial. You know, R. Kelly, I'm sure, has dug in. He's been facing these allegations for a long time. And that's going to be a function of whether or not they have the goods. What, am I, what do I mean? If the prosecution, after he is brought before the court and he's arraigned, that is, he formally pleads not guilty, and discovery is turned over. Now, for those who, who don't know, discovery is when the prosecution gives you witness statements and they give you documents and they give you physical evidence to examine. And, you know, your attorneys look at that. And when you look at it, you know, oh, I can challenge this. I could challenge this. Mm-hmm. This is going to be tough. This is easy. And so when you do that, that's when you have to sit down with your client and you say, look, based on all I reviewed, you know, I, there's a million inconsistencies. Or based on all my reviews, this is ridiculous. We're going to trial. Right. But we don't get no because the the discovery hasn't been handed over. I can tell you that his exposure is three to seven years at, on each count. Now, many people mm. are saying 70 years. I don't believe it's 70 years. What I do think, because there's a difference, and I don't want to do, do much do too much inside baseball, Tara, but there's a difference between consecutive time and concurrent, concurrent. time. Let me briefly explain. Yeah. There are four victims, right? And with four victims on the different counts, I do think that as to each victim, the judge can sentence R. Kelly consecutively, meaning give him seven years on a conviction of one, seven other years on a conviction of two, seven more years on a conviction of three. So uh, conviction of victim number three. So I think that his exposure you know, with the four victims is really seven times, seven times four, right? right? So seven and seven is 14, 28 years, because as to multiple counts on one victims, what we do is those crimes, what we call merge, 
And so you get seven years on all the counts, but the seven years you serve on one is the same seven you serve on the other is the same seven you serve on the other. That's what's called concurrent time. It means that the time runs concurrently at the same time, whereas as to each victim, the time runs separately. So once you did your time on that victim, you start doing your time on the other victim. Right. But needless to say, it's a lot of time. And depending upon whether his lawyers think they can beat the case will depend upon whether there's a trial or whether there's a plea bargain. What you determines whether it's concurrent or consecutive time because I've often wondered that sure so what ends up happening is is that it depends upon the nature of the crime and the nature of the offense if they evolve out of what we call and I know this sounds very robotic but if it involves out of the same transaction and occurrence right so you're robbing a bank and at the time that you're robbing at the time that you're actually engaged in the bank robbery uh, you know something happens in the bank you commit a felony of the bank robbery and you're committing multiple times out of the same sort of set of circumstances, if the crimes arise out of the same sort of set of circumstances, which we call the same transaction and occurrence, then you're eligible generally for concurrent time. Okay, I got it. After you rob the bank, you then go and forgetting about all the crimes you committed in the bank, hey, you shut up, sit down, smack him in the head, do this, that, that. After you rob the bank, now you're involved in the shooting when the police come to get you, you know, after the fact, three days later, that now is separate and apart. So okay. that's really a different that transaction. That makes sense. Yeah. So that, you know, yep. so yeah. So that's generally how it goes in layman's terms. Oh, good. Because I've always wondered. I'm not an attorney. I should have gone to law school. I always wanted to. But uh, life went a different direction for me. I got a job and got in politics and <laughs> law school was left aside. I'm still and paying my student soft. loans off. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you're too I adore you, Joey Jackson. You're too sweet. Um, but no, I, I always say that, man, I should have gone to law school because I, I just I have a the way I approach things, I think, is usually, you know, pretty um, analytical. And so and I like to ask a lot of questions. So it's um, it's, but it's so I, I learn from I people noticed. like you. Yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not arguing with people. I'm not debating crazy people. Yeah. I got know. a lot of answers hey, to them. Well, you got I try. questions, but you got some answers. Hey, I learn. <laughs> I learn from the best from people like you, you know. Um, oh, as we thank you, uh, I just want to, uh, you know, as we wrap it up a little bit, I was going to talk about uh, what happened with Robert Kraft real quick, because I hate the Patriots. I am a New York Giants fan lifelong. We were Patriot killers. I don't care how many freaking <laughs> stupid Super Bowls the Patriots have won. And I hate the Red Sox because I'm a Yankees fan. And so amen to that. Yes, that's right. Um, sorry to all my listeners. I, you know, I'm sorry, guys. But when it comes to sports, it's non-negotiable. God sent me a Giants fan as a husband, too, because he knew I could never have anybody in the it. NFC. East. And that was it. Um, anyway, just just really quick, and and then I want to talk Michael Cohen before we go. But uh, really quick, what I, this? I, I was actually on vacation with my husband for a couple days. We were in Disney World last week, and we were online for the Pandora ride, the Flight of Passage. If anybody goes to Disney World, it's amazing. We stayed online. We stood online for two and a half hours for this damn ride, but it was worth it. Um, while I was online, I got the alert that Bob Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, also of Kraft Foods, what got busted in a prostitution ring at a massage parlor in Jupiter, Florida. Yeah. And I thought to myself, yeah. wait, what? I thought these billionaire guys usually have like high, call, high class call girls. What is he doing going to a strip yeah, mall crazy. massage parlor? So what exactly? It's a crazy story. It's crazy. So what just, <laughs> just really briefly, what happened and is he going to jail or is any, anything going to happen to him? Is this anything more than just kind of a basic solicitation case? I think it's a basic solicitation case, not to make light of it, but, you know, he he has 
apparently a couple of counts of solicitation where he solicited a prostitute uh, for services. And as a result of that, apparently they were doing a sting, they being the police department in Jupiter, Florida, of that particular facility. Apparently they're saying they have videotape of the acts in question. And at the end of the day, you know, I'm sure he'll be involved in some what we call diversion program. He may not even plead to a crime. He'll do some community service. He'll give a lot of money to the community. He'll engage in other activities of acts of good, and this will go away. The larger question for me is the issue of human trafficking, the women who were actually there. It's terrible. we get to that larger issue of enslaving women to engage in this behavior. Where are they coming from? How do you stop them from being here? How do you protect them so that they're not subjected, you know, to this kind of bondage? And what we can do as a society to make sure that, you know, the women here are okay. So the pro- his uh, craft, I think, is important because he's lent his big name to something that is huge. And I think if we could get to that issue, it'll be very important. I'm not, you know, poo-pooing the issue of getting the Johns. Cause right. Certainly, it's, it's a supply and demand issue, right? If nobody's going, then, hey, you're good because then there's not the demand. But I think the demand is going to continue to exist as long as you have it. And so hopefully with him lending his big name, not voluntarily, um, you know, to this whole issue, maybe the police can get to the reason they were staking out the place to begin with, which is to stop the human trafficking. And just quickly, I think he'll also, that is uh, Bob Kraft, face some issue as it relates to the NFL. He'll yes. be disciplined, suspended, or what have you. But if there could be any good that comes out of this, for everyone, I think it's that we can refocus on the human trafficking component, and protect women who are very vulnerable. And I'm going to add my political commentary on that. Um, this is a perfect example of where a wall wouldn't made a damn bit of difference. And Donald Trump nope. is sincere in this whole idea of all of a sudden now he's concerned with human trafficking and this strange obsession he has with women being gagged and, and taped up and brought across the border, uh, which is not really how it goes. This case, they came from China and and these kinds of sting operations yep. are um, quite prevalent across the country. In my home state of New Jersey, they had a big bust a couple years ago with a bunch of these massage parlors, um, similar situation coming from Asian countries. And they come through legal ports of entry, like airports, because they're mm-hmm. lured over That's here right. with the idea of That's legitimate right. jobs. And then they get them here and they enslave them in these sexual servitude uh jobs and so that's really where the human trafficking um uh issue comes in and that's really how it happens not this bullshit that donald trump's running around trying to paint a picture like they do in movies about people being gagged coming across the uh, uh, a wallless border no they come through legal ports of entry so that just that's That's my political commentary on that and this is a perfect example of that um again high profile where people see that this is what human trafficking actually looks like so that's my little two cents on that issue. Well um, stated. Thank you. Can I get uh, an amen? <laughs> Can the church say amen? Um, before we go, I had to, <laughs> I had to, to to talk to you just a little bit about uh, Michael Cohen. Since this week, um, uh, he'll have already testified by, by the time most people listen to this podcast because it comes out on Tuesdays. But uh, uh-huh. it it is going to be high drama this week on Capitol Hill. Michael Cohen. Donald Trump's former fixer uh, and attorney, he's been convicted of a bunch of other things that are not actually unrelated to Russia or anything like that. But the campaign finance stuff, Stormy Daniels, the National Enquirer, all of that stuff is involved mm-hmm. in this. He lied to Congress. Now, so he, I mean, I'm going to be watching. I'm going to have the popcorn ready because I want to hear Watch what he has TV. to say. 
It is absolutely yeah. the split screen between that and and the the North Korea summit with Kim Jong Un. Um, but you you're a New Yorker. I'm sure you've known Michael Cohen over the years or crossed paths with him in some capacity, even if it's at a studio at CNN. Um, <laughs> He's going away for three if years. So, if so, I wouldn't admit it. Yeah, but I know. Anyway. <laughs> I know. He's not exactly. Yeah, he's not exactly uh, a well-respected guy. Um, Donald Trump doesn't seem to attract the best of talent, despite what he says. So here we are now. He's already convicted. He's already sentenced to jail. He's just waiting to serve his time now. He goes. What allows him to go before Congress? Because I'm not going to get necessarily into the political side of it. But I know I have questions and some people are probably wondering, A, why is he allowed out of jail for so long before he has to report and B, <laughs> um, you know, that's not a benefit right. a lot of people get. And B, um, it does it is what benefit does it have for him? Like as an attorney, are you like, why is this guy still talking? Like just shut up and do your time. Yeah. You know, like how, wh- explain a little bit about how that's <laughs> happening and, and why do you think he's doing this? So let's address for the audience why he is doing it. Right. So here's the reality. The reality is, is that in the event that he, engages in what we call substantial cooperation he's eligible for a discount right in terms of his time he was given three years in the event that you cooperate and you do so on team america that is <laughs> do what federal prosecutors ask you to do which right is dish on what you know you are given credit for substantial assistance which represents a reduction in your sentence so and even so after your sentence even after your yeah, sentence. Even after your sentence. Okay. It's usually within one year. Yeah, you're, within one year, you're eligible, uh, or after the year, you're eligible for a, a reduction in your sentence. And so there's an incentive to him to go out and talk. So this is the issue where defense attorneys want him talking. Got it. Because they want, that is, the federal government, prosecutors, Congress, everybody involved wants him to dish on what he knows about the president. Now, that also exposes him because it represents an incentive for him to talk, but an incentive, as the White House will paint it, for him to be misrepresenting things because now that he's on Team America, just say what they want you to say, do what you need to do, and now because of what you're saying, you get the reduction. So that also harms his credibility because he has a built-in reason to be speaking like this. But the but so, the flip, let me ask you about that, that real quick. So even if the White House does push back, because of course he's they're going to say, well, he was a liar, look, he lied to Congress before, and okay, oh, fine. Yeah, we right. already know this, right? But um, but but that also speaks to the prosecutors. They're not going to reward him with a reduction in sentencing or anything like that if the if he's giving them bullshit. Because then that's impugning exactly. the integrity of the attorney of the prosecutors. Then so this whole argument coming from the Trump people that they're going to try to undermine Michael Cohen that he's just doing this for a reduction. He can't just make anything up. It has to have credibility, and the prosecutors have to believe that it's relevant and that it's you know what I mean right so they they're not gonna that that argument doesn't really fly when it comes down to the actual facts of thing maybe in the public court of public opinion because most people don't analyze things like this but um, am I right about that like prosecutors aren't going to give him a reduction in sentence unless he gives them things that they, they, they can prove and use that are credible so so here's the deal Sarah you are a thousand percent correct and let me just tell you why It's not only what Michael Cohen says, because we all can say anything. I think what the prosecutors are guided by in terms of his dishing on, and because remember, there's two things, right? As you and I'm sure the listeners know, there is number one, the special counsel and Mueller and collusion and the mandate to that 
specific investigation. And then there's the Southern District that's investigating Trump's foundation and Trump's business dealings and other financial crimes that Trump may have engaged in. And who is the guy who has worked with Trump for many, many years, right? But Cohen, who would know this. Now, to the heart of the matter, anybody could say anything unless, unless you have corroboration. Right. See, there's a major C involved here, and that is corroboration. Now, corroboration means that Michael Cohen not only has, I'm sure, and is giving prosecutors his statements, but he's telling prosecutors where to find the bodies, meaning I'm telling you that on January 2nd, you know, we did this and we buried it here. And then prosecutors are going to go to that location and if they pull up a body now, obviously I'm being dramatic. Right, of course. Literal, it's I'm just an illustration, everybody, just an illustration. <laughs> illustration, exactly. But what I'm talking about is he's going to reference certain documents, certain dealings, and they're going to ask him for the goods. Now, like any attorney, we keep records, we keep documents, we keep all kind of stuff. So he's giving them that in addition to what he's saying to support, right? Because corroboration essentially is support for what you're saying. And so I think at the end of the day, Michael Cohen has right corroboration for the things that he's saying. And that's why prosecutors find it so attractive that when you see him walking, sometimes, you know, the last clip I saw, he had this big giant binder. Yeah, now, I guarantee you that that binder did not have his daughter and son's <laughs> report cards in it. It had documents that were relevant yeah. to the investigation. And that's why I would be concerned if I was the White House based upon the things that he's dishing. And so, yeah, he's got a lot to say. He's got a lot to say before Congress. He's testifying for three committees, one of which is public, two of which are private. And I'm suspecting that the American people will you know, look at it. They'll draw their own conclusions. But if you want to paint the guy a liar, which is fine, and we can do, and he has lied before, and that's you know one of the things that he was convicted of, or at least you know is pleading had pled to. But at the end of the day, understand and know that if you have something that supports what you say, it's hard to say I'm lying, and that's the deal with that. And he once again has receipts. <laughs> it's yeah, tough to argue right, with that. Receipts. receipts don't it's lie. Right, exactly. Very well stated. Yeah. Very well stated. Way to bring it all home. Yeah, Sarah. well, there, all there, there you go. There you go. Um, <laughs> you know, so speaking of that, Avenatti is involved in this case too. If people don't, you know, people forget sometimes because there's just so much information. It's like you're on information overload. But Michael Avenatti um, kind of started the ball rolling on this publicly because of his representation of Stormy Daniels and then the president lying about whether he knew about these payments or not and it was mm -hmm. michael cohen who facil facilitated these illegal payments with her and with the national Enquirer and the playboy uh, bunny McDo karen mcdougall um with the catch and kill story and all that really came back to bite them and it is i'm glad you you brought that up because i forgot to that this is the southern district of new york who's prosecuting him right. not bob Mueller. Right. bob Mueller right. looked at this stuff and said you know what i'm gonna slide this back over to the southern district of new york because i think it's more appropriate for them um That's and right. so right. it's uh it, so it's it's kind of was a byproduct of the Mueller investigation, but it is actually a whole separate case um, with That's that. Right. And uh, just a couple days ago, I think this story really hasn't gotten much, much uh, traction. But back six months, seven months ago, Michael Avenatti produced a SARS report or a, um, a suspicious activity banking report of uh, showing that Michael Cohen received five hundred thousand dollars from this Russian oligarchs. American subsidiary company and this Russian oligarchs company gave $250,000 to Trump's inauguration 
committee and it's all very suspicious stuff and apparently the irs agent who leaked that document to avenatti got caught and he's facing some trouble he's in trouble the guy's name is john fry so i wondered at the time how michael avenatti was able to obtain that sar report because that's pretty confidential stuff um but looks like the feds got them so i that's going to be interesting to see what happens to that person because you know there's a lot of us that are like please let an irs agent just take the kamikaze dive and release trump's tax returns (laughs) (laughs) if you're gonna do it do a pig you know what i mean but exactly i'm I'm just kidding but um so so that's something going on the old school music if anybody looks to old school, old school music, there's, uh, there's a song, Things That Make You Go, hmm. That's right. That's things right. That make You Go, hmm. Made famous by well. Arsenio Hall <laughs> on his <Yeah>. show. <laughs> things That Make You Go. We're dating ourselves, Joey Jackson. We're dating ourselves. I know, right? I well, know. Tell I, me about it. I've, I'm so happy that you were so generous with your time and we had a chance to, to oh, convention, and educate my, my audience with all of your legal wisdom. But I ha- before I let you go, I have to bring up the fact that my husband and I... I adore you and even before this conversation <laughs> before I even knew this we've always been big fans of Joey Jackson and you guys everyone you can see him on CNN and H and HLN all the time or at Watford Jackson at his firm in New York if you're in trouble um, but Joey the other day put up a video of him dancing with his cat which was the cutest thing I'd ever seen and my husband and I are cat people and I talk about my cat Tiki he's a black and white tuxedo cat and how awesome he is and I was like Joey Jackson is a cat person what is your cat's name yes, and what I kind am. of cat is it all right so let me just say a couple of things then we'll, we'll end it here first of all it was interesting I'm gonna tell you that uh Tara's husband's amazing, right? And Tara, before we started, said, hey, my husband says hello everything. So I told Tara, do not say hello back to me, okay, because he makes me look bad. And I'm going to tell you why. He does the sweetest things for his wife. I don't even want to describe the stuff that he does to Tara, okay? And now I, as a dude, have to go home and say, um, hon, you know what happened today? Um, Well, I saw Tara's husband, and he took her, and she's like, what? So he makes me look bad. Oh, all right? my gosh. But, you know. <laughs> my husband. And he's just, a gentleman. He he's is. He's an incredible guy. He's a blessing. I, 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 my husband is the best. And it's, it's you're not the right, only well, guy who Disneyland, said that. Yeah, you know, he did propose. Yeah, he proposed at the Eiffel Tower. And we got married in a castle in Italy. And, you know, for when guys hear that, they go, don't don't tell me that. And don't say it in front of my wife. So I that that's too funny. So, so there I am. See, I'm hating, right? I'm hating. It's an outrage. But uh, he's an incredible guy. And obviously he has an incredible woman. And so as a result, that's why he does those beautiful things that he does. There um, is real true love out there. (laughs) So reluctantly, give him my best. Reluctantly and begrudgingly. But anyway. um, (laughs) I will. I will. On the issue of my cat. So it was interesting. Uh, So it was uh, last week and I was just, a smooth operator came on, right? So. Sade, everybody, that's Sade. Yeah, Sade. And uh, so I grabbed my cat. I'm dancing my cat. So my wife caught the, like, the last 30 seconds of our little thing. But I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm going around. I'm like, smooth operator, and I'm just going back and forth. <laughs> so, you know, cats are so much different from dogs. It's, it's not like they're running to you and everything else. But right. I tell you what my cat does. Every time when, I'm, when I come home, because he knows my MO, he's sitting on the ledge of the window and when I come to the door, my cat greets me in the door with a meow. And he, like, follows me around the house, you know, and he meows until I give him attention. And he's just the most incredible, you know, cat. His name's Jaden. And it's like, and what ended up happening is, is that when my, um, 
what had happened? I forget. I think my son was going away or to camp or some such thing. And so my wife was like, I got to get a cat. I got to get you. And so Jaden was welcomed into the family. And Jaden has been a super duper, you know, family member. And my wife gets jealous sometimes. So I can't talk too much about the cat. Oh, that's so uh, but... funny. <laughs> that is so funny. But How old like, is Jaden? He's beautiful. Oh, my God. How old is Jaden now? Jaden is probably about seven, I think, mm-hmm. seven years old now. Is he a Persian? So, um, just uh, he's a rag doll. Okay. Yeah, so he's a rag doll. And he's just he's a beautiful he's a beautiful little cat. I mean, mm-hmm. he has his attitude. And it's so funny. Ty. I'll tell you the last thing. So when I leave, when I do like a trip or whatever else, I was just uh, in L.A. for something. And I come back and he's like such a brat. He'll ignore me because he's pissed off at me. <laughs> and then, you know. <laughs> He'll ignore me for like a half an hour, and then he'll come running after me. It's it's the funniest thing. Every time I go somewhere, I'll be like, I'll come in the house, and he'll be at the window waiting for me, and then he'll jump off the ledge and he'll hide when I come oh, out. that's he won't so talk to me. funny. And then he'll come out and he'll finally like warm up, and he'll be like, meow, 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 and want his attention. But, oh my gosh, yeah, cats are cats are too much, man. My my cat Tiki, I I had him. He's twelve now, and he was a rescue. My mom rescued him um, down in the Florida Keys, and uh, my mom ran a homeless shelter down there and one of her homeless guys actually brought him in and he was a little teeny tiny thing and That's my mom amazing. yeah and my mom ran an animal shelter before that she was a vet tech for many years so and I come from an animal loving family my grandmother was a professional dog handler so like I grew up around dogs most of my life and 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 cats too and so my mom couldn't allow this little kitten to be homeless with the homeless guy too so she she (laughs) took him in i know she took him in and she just noticed that he had this really amazing personality and so i at the time had just started my job on capitol hill this is back in 2006 uh way before i met my husband i wasn't even dating i hadn't dated in years and i was like whatever i was perfectly happy being the single professional woman in dc and i was over it all but my mom was like uh you know (laughs) do you want a cat now and i said yeah i love dogs but my life is too busy i just didn't have time to have you know to be pinned down with a dog mm-hmm. I traveled mm-hmm. a lot I worked long exactly. hours you know and cats are self-sufficient they clean themselves for god's sake so I was like they do yeah. exactly. I'm like this is great right so I got she flew him up to me she drove she he rode in the car hanging out he rode on the airplane she took a picture of him sitting in her like her forearm looking out the freaking window of the airplane my cat was so cool and ever since I got him exactly. it was instant love and he rules the roost so when I first met my husband he had to pass the tiki test because when he came to visit me for the first time, if the cat didn't like him, there would not have been a fourth date. I tell you right now, because you it tells you a lot. It tells you, you a lot that? how a man interacts with animals, you know. And uh, the first time, di- the first time my husband met Tiki, the cat jumped up on his lap and laid there and was purring. That's and I said, amazing. well, that's, that's a amazing. sign. That's a sign. And now they are thick as thieves. When my husband comes home, oh, my God, he comes running and rub, 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 rubs on him till he gives him treats. And then he's happy now. I'm chopped liver now. It's all about it's all about Tiki and my husband now. So that's See, it's, why it's so funny. Another another reason for me to hate on your husband. This guy's an incredible guy. He's incredible because I carry. I'm going to tell you something. What I have always believed: cats or even animals in general yep. and children can sense the spirit of people. Yes. 
100 children are running away from you and if animals are running away from you you're like hmm, what's the matter with that person? that's right but if they warm up to you it's like oh they must be special it's so, so see, true your, your husband's even special in that way it's, <laughs> it's unbelievable I'm, and, done. Well, I'm, hey, done. I'm glad this conversation is over i know well you know <laughs> one last thing about that so my mom has a dog and she's a she's also a rescue and she's been trained as a service dog and her name is samantha and some people sometimes i post pictures of my mom and her dog and, and when she comes to visit or we travel and samantha loves my husband loves him like Amazing. she my mom says well at least i know if anything happened to me who's getting the dog when they ride in the car she sleeps with her head on his lap it's so it's so bad that to the point where my stepdad she will not go out with my stepdad She's she loves my mom, that's my stepdad. So you know he's cool. nice. He my stepdad's a sweetheart too. He's a nice guy. But she's like, eh, I don't want to go out with you. So what do they do to get her out? They say they say my husband's name. Where is he? Go find him. And he she comes running and will go outside looking for him. That's how they coax that's her amazing. out of stuff. <laughs> so it's not only cats. He's also a dog whisperer. <laughs> and apparently he was the Tara Setmayer whisperer because he's the one who got me after all these years. So on that note, we're gonna end the the, the love session for my husband, Joey Jackson. That's amazing. You're the best. You are amazing. Thank you so much for for hanging out with me. And uh, I, I I miss not seeing you in New York though. Now that I'm back in DC, you got to come down and hang out with us in DC now. I definitely do, but I always love seeing you on the big screen and, of course, your podcast and all the great things you're doing. You're an amazing human being. I'm so glad we got a chance to uh, catch up and do this. And uh, you were missed. You were loved. You were appreciated. And just keep killing it. All right? Thank you. Likewise, my friend. Peace. Talk soon. Much love. So you've heard a lot of news lately about fentanyl and drug busts and legal ports of entry. And it's been pretty amazing. Even with this El Chapo recently was convicted, one of the biggest drug dealers in the world. But the crime ring you've probably never heard of is one of the most dangerous in the world as well. They are the Mennonite mob. You've heard right. The Mennonites. 99% of them are kind, God-fearing people. But there's one group that has smuggled millions of dollars of narcotics from Mexico to Canada. Wednesdays, 10, 9 central, WGN America premieres the new TV series, Pure, based on true events of the Mennonite mob. The show is about Noah Funk, the newly elected Mennonite pastor who is determined to rid his community of the drug cartel. But he finds himself way in over his head. And the good pastor, along with his wife, will do some very bad things all in the name of protecting their family. Think of Pure as Breaking Bad meets Witness meets Narcos. Get hooked on Pure, Wednesdays at 10, 9 central, only on WGN America. That's WGN America, available on Direct Channel, Direct TV, Channel 307, Dish Channel 239, or check your local cable listings for the channel in your area. That's Pure on Wednesdays on WGN America. That's it for this week's edition of Honestly Speaking with Tara. Big thank you to my friend Joey Jackson and uh, stay tuned for next week's episode. If you want to follow along, you want to tweet me, tell me what you think of the episode. If you have guests you want to hear from, let me know. You can tweet me at honestly underscore Tara or at Tara Setmayer on Twitter. And like I said on Instagram, I post pictures and stuff and kind of fun things there too. It's at the... Tara Setmayer. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next week. 